Hey, everybody, and welcome back in to Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me. Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Doing fine. Yet, uh, I guess every day we need to report whether we've got cabin fever or have gone stir crazy. Not yet. Still enjoying being at home way more often, watching a lot of football-type stuff. Uh, and it, it just gets me more and more excited about the upcoming football season, uh, which I'm going to continue to speak into existence. Have you watched the Tiger King? I have not. Uh, I certainly know a lot about it. I was familiar with that character, Joe Exotic. Uh, but no, I have not. But I have heard things. Um, How have you heard about Joe Exotic before now? Uh, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember if it was a, a documentary or I, I, I'm, I, I was aware of him. Now, in terms of the whole life story and the murders and everything, I mean, I, I, I don't remember knowing any of that stuff. But I knew that this country was home to a person called Joe Exotic who was batshit crazy and... <laughs> He had something to do with uh, big, big cats, and uh, that's that's really about the extent of what I knew before this Tiger King phenomenon began. I've only seen one episode because I'm, you know, I I don't have the the TV here where I can switch it over to Netflix. I gotta watch it on my computer, and that gets sort of annoying. Um, but man, it's it's not every day you see a homosexual tiger 180 something tiger having dude in Oklahoma with a mullet and uh frosted hair uh who appears to also somehow be racist um sorta uh and and misogynistic in a way and also oddly even in the first episode there I picked up vibes of homophobia from the guy who's obviously gay. I, I, I don't, a lot of self-loathing there. There was so much to digest. There was a lot going on. Um, a lot to unpack. Episode. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I needed to take a step back and say, um, okay, let's, let's go ahead and take inventory of my own life here really quickly before, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I move forward here. Um but yeah, it's it's an interesting. It was an interesting one episode that I've seen so far. I'm going to try and work the rest of them in. So, um, Jimmy, we're going to just bounce around today. I mean, we were sure. talked about doing potentially a rehash of the 2016 USC game, which I do want to get to, but we're not going to do that today because tubes uh, before uh, before we do the rehash. So we're just going to bounce around a little bit. I figured we'd talk about some. Alabama news right at the forefront and then talk about the some mock drafts that are out there and now these mock drafts are coming out almost hourly I mean they really are and it's I love it but um I love it every year but I'm in love with it this year yeah for a couple reasons number one it's the only show in town and number two uh Alabama seems certain to set a school record for number of players taken in the first round that record is four and I feel like uh, there's a very, very good chance, although not certain, but a very, very good chance Alabama could break that record with five players selecting the first round, maybe even six. But five would set the school record. So that's what I'm rooting for. Five guys 
a bonus would be six. Um, okay. The news wise, and this really just came about as I was, we were starting to do this podcast and that's, um, Amarius Mims, who's one of the top 10 players in the country, a monstrous offensive tackle. He released the top 10 and he released them in order, which is very rare. Um, usually they say, you know, I'm, I'm considering these 28 schools, please no interviews. And then they do several interviews. Um, but this, in this case, he's got Bama one, Georgia two, Clemson three, LSU four, Auburn five, Florida State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Florida, and Tennessee. If I were Tennessee, I'd kind of be like, you know, you could have just left us off. Don't, don't even give us this sliver of, so you're saying there's a chance thing. I mean, um, but he's six, seven, 315 pounds. He's so really at six, seven, the way he's built 315 pounds might be light for him. (laughs) Yeah, he's a fantastic yeah. prospect. If 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 no such person existed as Tommy Brockermeyer, who is basically a near perfect left tackle prospect, if if Tommy Brockermeyer didn't exist, Amarius Mims might easily be the number one tackle uh, in the United States. I mean, a guy like Amarius Mims is good enough to be the number one tackle in almost any year. He just happened to come along at a time that Brockermeyer did, but uh. Mims is awesome. I've seen highlight tape. Uh, I mean this as, as, a, as a huge compliment, even though the guy's career didn't go as well as we hoped uh, at in the NFL in particular. But I tell you who Amarius Mims uh, tape uh, uh, reminds me of is Cyrus Quandro. Um, I mean, I, I see a lot of Cyrus in him. They're built extremely similarly at the same stage. Amarius might even be a tad longer, but they're just kind of very similar players to me at the same stage. Now, Cyrus didn't have a great NFL career. Things sort of went sideways for him after he left Alabama. But but Cyrus was certainly a good player at Alabama, no doubt. I would even say he was he was probably closer to great than good at Alabama. But uh, Mims is just a similar kid to me, uh, to Cyrus. And I think we have a really good chance. Uh, gun to my head, I would say he's going to Georgia, but but – but no, Alabama's got a really, really good chance there. Well, luckily we don't put guns to your head around here, Jimmy. Um, that's just <laughs> Thank for you. you in the courtroom. Um, Thank you. <laughs> let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit more recruiting. Then I want to get into some of this mock draft talk. Jimmy, another guy that um, the BOL, Bama Online, and I, I consider them, I mean, I like rivals too. But for whatever reason, I, I find BOL easier to navigate. And um, I sort of like their their font, their text, their their overall setup better than Rivals. A lot of times when I click on Rivals, and I'm a member of both of them, but a lot of times when I'm, a, when I'm on Rivals, there's so much going on that it's hard right. to navigate it um, easily. Um, there... But there was another running back in the 2022 class uh, whose name is Jaden Blue, the number seven ball carrier uh, in the country for the 2022 class. He got an Alabama offer, and it really impressed me. It blows my mind we're talking kids. I mean, it, it just does. I don't know why that's so freaky to me, but it does. Um but, yeah, so Alabama's already working on 2022, guys, as well, even though we only have one commitment for 2021. 
Yeah, you know, and uh, a few things to say about recruiting. Um, I don't even want to talk about the possibility that we won't play football this fall. I mean, I don't want to even do that. But I suppose it would behoove our staff. Our staff has to consider everything, right? Let's say that there's just not a football season. There's just not one. Well, how the hell are, are you going to navigate the numbers at that point? I mean, in terms of are, are, do you, what that would mean, Luke, is if we don't have a football season in 2020, so we don't play again until 2021, that means based on the precedent just set by the NCAA with regard to spring sports and any sort of logic and reason, if we play the 2021 season, that means the true freshmen, the true freshmen in 2021 will be members of the 2020 class and the 2021 class. There'll be massive groups of true freshmen entering at once, which means you probably have to ignore the 85 limit at least for a year or two until shit gets all straight there with the math. But what I'm saying is, Thank God Nick Saban is so much smarter than I am. But Saban and his best minds are going to have to powwow over how many commitments do we take when we're looking at a possibility that these guys will be joining the 2020 class as true freshmen. We don't want our numbers to get totally crazy. I mean, do you sign another 25? Are we going to bring in 50 true freshmen for 2021? I mean, what kind of problems is that going to create in 2022, 20, 23, and 24? So I'm glad that I, I – I don't know what to do about that. I'm sure they don't know. It's, but they're smarter than I am, thank God. But that's one thing to keep in mind about, well, we only have one commitment. We might be really glad we only have one commitment because 2021 is going to be so weird if we don't have a season in 2020, and no one knows that yet. So there's that. A second thing I want to talk about, and this never really occurred to me, but there was a small little known commitment this weekend that happened Sunday. Not a big deal. Not on Alabama's radar. But the starting running back from Blunt, a kid named Jarris Williams, who's very good. I mean, he's very good. I, I see him as an SEC player for sure. I'm a big fan of Jalen White from Dothan, who I, I say is the number one back in Alabama, who I think is Alabama worthy. Jarris Williams is not Alabama worthy, so I'm not making this point about Alabama but I do think Jairus Williams is good enough to play for half of the SEC. Somebody like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, uh, they should be all over this kid. And some of them did give him those offers that aren't offers, you know, when you get something in the mail that says you have a scholarship offer or a coach calls you and says, hey, we want you. You, you have an offer here. I, I don't know the status of who he had committable offers to. I'm just telling you, watching him play, this is an SEC back. But he committed Sunday to Troy. And you could take that a couple of ways. Number one, maybe those weren't committable offers and the kid was tired of recruiting and he just wants it over with and, and Troy just sounded good enough to him. Maybe, that, maybe it's that simple. But the more I thought about it, the more I think this is really smart, and this is the great discussion point to me. Let's say you're a Jairus Williams who's not national elite. He can't sign with Alabama. He can't sign with LSU. Auburn is a big stretch for him. But he could probably, if he waited it out, he could be in, in the SEC. So do you go to, let's say, let's just pick out an SEC program, Mississippi State. 
Do you go to Mississippi State and fight like hell to become the starting running back for two or three years where you're barely getting playing time and then you're playing special teams and hopefully by your junior year, you're the starter? Or do you go to Troy where there's a very good chance you'll be the man day one? I mean, you'll be the man there. And, and I'm not saying this guy is an NFL player for sure or, or, or should be mapping out his path to the NFL. What I'm suggesting is this. It's not the old days. Too many fans, particularly our age, Luke, too many fans think football's never changed or, or, or things haven't changed or it's cool if you're, you're always on TV or if you're in the, the power. Five. The fact of the matter is if the number one NFL prospect in the country was at Troy, that could happen today. I mean, it can easily happen today. Jordan Love is a first-round quarterback. He's at Utah State. Uh, it, it can just easily happen today that the best player, the number one pick in the draft, does not have to be from an SEC school or a Pac-12 school or a, the Big 12 or anything like that. So what I'm saying is maybe more kids should do what Jairus Williams is going to do, which is – hey, Troy might not be a threat to win the national championship, and they might not be great, but what they are is it gets me in front of scouts, and the NFL will see me at Troy because I'm going to be playing. If I was in the SEC, I might not be playing, and it don't matter that I'm there if I'm not playing because the only way the scouts are going to see me is if I'm in the games, and guess what? They watch Troy games. They do. So, just kind of a discussion point in terms of shouldn't more kids that barely get into the SEC, shouldn't more of them go to a place like Troy in the football game where the scouts will find you no matter where you are or what program you play for? Yeah, there's an argument to be made for that, certainly. Um, the flip side of that is if you go to Troy, you know, you, you're going to have, and this is no knock on Troy, but versus yeah. say Mississippi state or Kentucky or something, their facilities aren't as good. They're not going to be on TV as much. And yeah, you Correct. talk about scouts will find you. Yeah. Scouts will find you. And that, that's true, but it's not like the first round NFL draft is loaded with Troy guys, you know, every now and again, no. Uh, you'll have the the offensive tackle that went to uh, Kansas City. You went to Eastern Michigan or Western Michigan or somebody like Fisher. that. Eric Fisher. Huh? Eric, Eric Fisher. Fisher. Yeah. And he, He's from the Mac. Every now and again, you'll have one of those. That's, that's fine. But, yep. you know, if you do go to Mississippi State and you fight it out, um, one thing's for sure, you will have faced better competition probably in practice every yep. day than you yep. practice on average in – the Sun Belt or whatever Troy's in. I think they're in the Sun Belt. Um, but, Which is uh, why a Najee Harris should never go to someplace like Troy. I mean, yeah. you're clearly a badass. I'm not talking about the clear badasses. I'm talking about the I get you. people that need to take a long look at exactly where they are in the hierarchy. If you're not a clear badass, um, I could make the case to go to Mississippi State and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, fight it out. Then you get to be a junior starter and you stay for your senior year. Uh, your third all-time leading rusher in, in school history. And, hey, even if you don't work out in the NFL, you probably never have to work again. You can get a job over, you know, doing something for somebody in Starkville who will 
remember you fondly. And, and all, there's this. It's going to be quite that way. I mean, I, it, do, it doesn't have to be a wild example, but hell, Kylan Hill, who will be a senior running back at Mississippi State next season, he might play his way into the first round next year. And I don't remember Alabama and LSU and Tennessee beating down his door, but he'll, he'll be a multi-year starter and potentially even a first-round pick in next year's draft. And he is a, quote, three-star from a small town in Mississippi and out of high school, probably similar prospect to the kid I'm talking about. You know, and, it went, and he went to Mississippi State, and it damn sure worked out for him. I'm just saying – Let's. I mean, this this Jarris Williams kid. If Alabama took him, I mean, he would never play at Alabama. But but I don't think so. But maybe you know, Alabama's got seven running backs on scholarship this fall, and that means several of them, several running backs at Alabama who just won't get the ball this fall would be starting at Troy. And I think you could argue that they would have been better served doing that. Now, of course. You know, every situation is different. And there's injuries and everything else. And I'm not saying that that Kyle Edwards or somebody should have, oh, I'm going to Troy. I'm not going to Alabama. Alabama's a different ball of wax. But it is true that we have seven running backs and one ball. And uh, any of our seven guys would be the starting running back at Troy, I would assume. That's very true. All right, Jimmy, let's take one more break. When we come back, we're going to talk about these mock drafts. Okay, mock draft time, Jimmy. Before I do that, I watched the scheme last night on HBO. Ah. Mm-hmm. Wow me with a bunch of new information. Um, mm-hmm. Hearing Will Wade, hearing his voice say the things that I knew he had said based on the quotes I'd seen, it really struck a chord with me. And somebody, I, I tweeted about that. And, of course, a couple of LSU folks we're like, oh, it's a big nothing burger. First of all, it's not a nothing burger. Your coach is clearly caught buying prospects. Now, I'm not going to say throw him under the bus because I know, I believe wholeheartedly that most every team buys prospects. It's just so much that your guy got caught. It's like when I'm going 78 and somebody else is going 78 and I see the cop up ahead, and I slow down, and they catch him. Tough shit. I mean, it, you know, that, to me, that's the way it is. And yeah, I think Will Wade cheats his ass off. There's no doubt. And when I say cheat, I mean cheat by the letter of the NCAA law. Because frankly, I, I mean, I think we're coming to a point where you're going to be able to pay for these players anyway. And I think everybody's coming to the conclusion that. Eh, this isn't that big a deal, but by the letter of by the way the law is written now for the NCAA, he cheated clearly. And if they don't do something about this, then it is sort of wild okay. west. It's a wild, wild west. We're Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I, everything you just said. I agree a hundred million percent. I mean, I, uh, the rules are what the rules are, and what the NCAA has to decide is: Are we enforcing the rules? on everyone or are we changing the rules and if you're changing the rules to where what will Wade did is okay because quote everybody does it then announce it and change the rules tomorrow but don't have rules that many many will follow many will follow those rules don't have rules that many will follow and then with others they know that the rules aren't reinforced so they cheat like crazy 
because what you have at that point is competitive disadvantage. And when there's competitive disadvantage, the sport is ruined. The sport's not good if it's okay that half of them are cheating and, and half of them are not. I mean, either have the rule or don't. And, and, and that's the way. I like. And, I don't, and like you, Luke, I don't care which one it is. I don't care. I, I just want it to apply to everyone. I, I do think I'm not against these kids that generate income for the schools getting, getting money for it. I'm, I'm not against that. Uh, I'm just against the idea that uh, Will Wade can buy a, a prospect, flat out buy a player, and that's okay. And Missouri, uh, you know, they find that a tutor did some schoolwork for three players and they're on probation for four years and can't go to a bowl. That's just stupid. I mean, that's, that is infinitely stupid. It's not just unfair to Missouri. It's just stupid. That does get me in a bad mood. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right, though. Uh, so mock draft. We're going to. I'm just going to take the one that that the the latest one that's been posted. I'm not going to go through all of them because we, you know maybe we'll yeah. save some for some other. But this is from NBC Sports, um, and this one has Joe Burrow going one, obviously Chase Young going two, which I'm, I'm down with both of those. But you know, and and I didn't think about this angle before. Joe Burrow being from Ohio probably oh, yeah. adds to Cincinnati's incentive to not trade that pick. Whereas I thought at first I was thinking, you know, I look, I think Joe Burrow's a great quarterback. Do I really think he's better than Tua Tungavailoa? No. I think Tua got hurt and I think that that really hurt Tua in terms of of the draft and not much. I mean it, you know, going from number 1 to number 5 or whatever. But the the Ohio thing may make it where Cincinnati looks at it like, look, we, we get to pull on heartstrings, pull local ties, and get a quarterback who's probably just as good as anybody else in this draft, uh, plus or minus. So I, I think they won't trade that pick, although I thought they could get good value and still trade back to even the number five slot and get um, Justin Herbert, get Tua, get somebody like that, and come out smelling like a rose. Um, but in this draft, they have the Dolphins trading up to get to, three. to it, number three, which right. makes sense. That's what I think is going to happen. That That's what I think is going to happen, is the Dolphins trade up to three to take Tua, or Alabama fans won't <laughs> like this. If it happens, I'm not going to be shocked. I'll be disappointed, but I won't be shocked if they trade up to number three and take Herbert. That won't, or Jordan Love even. But that that, that won't, I won't be astounded. Hey, I'll, hey, I'll be Jordan disappointed. Love, I don't. Jordan Love's catching fire here late. I, I, I think you know Kuiper. Kuiper was a Jordan Love doubter for a long time. McShay has a five thousand dollar bet with him that Jordan Love gets drafted ahead of Herbert. Um, Kuiper last night, even though he's been a Jordan Love doubter, he, he has Jordan Love at nine to the Jaguars now. And you know he was what? slow to get on the train. Yeah, he has Jordan Love nine. McShay has a five thousand dollar bet that Jordan Love will go before Herbert. Not wow. before uh, Burrow and Tua, but anyway, I want to say is my my prediction today, and uh, oh, and trust me, I have I am into this draft. Uh, I believe that if Detroit doesn't trade the pick, they would take Jeffrey Akuda at three. Detroit could trade with Miami, fall to five, pick up an extra first round pick for mm-hmm. moving back two spots, and you know who they're going to draft at five? Jeffrey Akuda. The same kid they would have taken at three. So they would be making out like bandits 
and the Dolphins will be guaranteeing getting who they want because the Dolphins are going to be worried that, let's say the Dolphins are in love with Tua or Herbert, whichever one it is that the Dolphins are in love with, probably Tua, you know, they're going to be worried that the Chargers will, will get in front of them or rumored that the Jaguars, Raiders, and Patriots might all be putting together packages to move up. So I think it'll be the Dolphins. They can move up to three easily from five, and they also have three first-round picks, so they have the capital to trade. Uh, they would probably have to trade that number 18 spot. Boy, then Detroit. <laughs> Detroit, at that point, you got to give them a trophy. I mean, they draft the player they want. Oh, and they get the 18th pick in the draft for free. Uh, so well, and it's interesting now, you say that because obviously they do in this NBC one, they have uh, Detroit trading with Miami, and then they have them taking Derrick Brown, which I think Derrick Brown's really? worthy of the pick. I'm just with you that I think they would take um, Jeffrey Okuda. I'm gonna, and then they have Jeffrey Okuda going to the Panthers, whereas most people have those two flip-flopped. Yeah, um, yeah that's interesting. And, yeah, that's exactly how I have it is, well, I actually don't. I mean, right now, I actually have Derrick Brown going to the Jacksonville Jaguars at nine. And even though Derrick Brown's a much better player than that. I mean, Brown is deserving to go in the top three or five, in my opinion. But I have him right now at nine to the Jags. But obviously, these NBC people do this for a living. So I'm I'm curious to know how they've uh, lined it up here. And I'm not going to go through all of them because we're trying to keep this one a little bit abbreviated. But uh, the Jets take Henry Rugg at 11 in this one, which, I, man, I would love that. I mean, now Very possible. the Jets would have Quinn Williams, they'd have C.J. Mosley, and they'd have Henry Ruggs on the same yep. team. And I just love that the, the Jets have a bunch of Bama ties, you know, going back to yeah. Joe Namath. Oh, yeah, I'd be very excited about that. That's the first time I've seen a lot of mocks. That's the highest I've seen. I've seen Ruggs consistently go at 12 and 13 and 15, but I have not seen Ruggs as high as 11. So they must have Ruggs as the number one receiver in the draft. Well, that, that is the scuttlebutt. I've been reading a lot about mock drafts mm -hmm. recently, and a lot of people think Ruggs is moving up to the number one receiver. Yep. And oddly, the, at 12, the Raiders here take Jerry Judy. Judy and if there's right. ever a player, who who screams Las Vegas? It's Jerry Judy. <laughs> in right? my personal in my personal mock app as today, I flip flop those two and have Judy going to the Jets and Rugs going to the Raiders, and 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 I do have them taken back to back at eleven and twelve. But I'm 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 slowly starting to get on board that it might be Rugs as the number one receiver for this reason. Somebody made a good. It's a criticism. I don't know why some Alabama fans just can't even handle criticism of our players, and it's not so much a criticism. Nobody says, oh, by the way, Judy sucks. I'm not saying that. Somebody made a good point about him. And that's and, and this was a smart football guy. I know who said it was Chris Sims, you know, who and a lot of people don't like him. I don't know why, but Chris Sims to me is a really smart football guy. Um, Chris Sims said, you know, buyer beware on Jerry Judy, who who was a fantastic college player. But when you draft a wide receiver, the NFL, who is a great college player who doesn't have a dominating trait, you could end up with Corey Davis. And Corey Davis was a first-round wide receiver from Virginia Tech, rated around anywhere as the number one or number two receiver in that draft. He went to the Titans and, and was just kind of a, a nothing burger. And, and, and by having not a dominating trait, what, what he's referring to is size and speed. You know, Judy's not big. And he's not super fast, you know, per NFL standards. He's just, in terms of size and speed, he's just a guy. 
And I think that's a good point about Judy and maybe why you take Ruggs over Judy, because Ruggs does have a dominating trait, and that is Ruggs is fast as shit. Ruggs is fast, period. He'll be one of the top two or three fastest wide receivers in the entire NFL. Um, So I'm starting to buy into that Ruggs may be the first receiver drafted, but but right now, myself, in terms of how I see it lined up, I, right now I have Judy 11 to the Jets, Ruggs 12 to the Raiders, C.D. Lamb 13 to the 49ers, all going back to back to back. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say about that, I think Judy does have a dominating trait, and that's his ability to juke. And um, his mm-hmm. he's, he's got uh, eyes all around his head, not just in the back of his head. He's got them everywhere from where players are coming from, and I think that uh, makes him, makes him – uh, Really mm-hmm. special at number fourteen in this draft, uh, mm-hmm. which is low. Jedrick Wills to the Bucks. Wow, that's the low Bucks are deep. Bucks are definitely taking a tackle. The Bucks are definitely taking a tackle to protect Tom Brady. So you you can pencil in an offensive tackle at that fourteen spot. There are four tackles who should all go. Who who could be available to the Bucks? I mean, there, there's Tristan Wirth from Iowa. There's Mikhail Becton from Louisville, Jed Wills from Alabama, Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Those four guys should all go before picks 15. I, I, I have Wills eight to the Cardinals, but it is very possible that if the Giants don't take an offensive lineman at four, that's going to cause a chain reaction, which will cause one of those tackles to fall down there, you know, where they have Wills, or even lower. I I think for Wills to go high, it would be great if the Giants took an offensive lineman at four. They might even take Wills. I'm not sure which one they're in love with. The consensus is that they'll take Wirfs at four, and and the dark horse being Becton, who's just the enormous Coke machine tackle from Louisville. But uh, personally... Personally, I have Wills as the second offensive lineman going, and I, I have him at eight to the Cardinals. Then it 20- they have to take an offensive. The Cardinals have to take an offensive. How about this stat? This is how bad the Cardinals' offensive line was last year. Kyler Murray, who may have the best feet in all of football for a quarterback, was sacked more than any other quarterback in the NFL. I think forty-two sacks. Hmm. He was sacked forty-two times with those feet. Wow. That means if he had just normal quarterback feet, would he have been sacked 60 times? <laughs> he wouldn't be alive. So Jeez. the Cardinals are taking an offensive lineman. You, you got to, if you invested that in Kyler Murray, you got to keep him alive. So I think just like the Bucks are going to take a tackle at 14 to protect Tom Brady, the Cards are going to take a tackle to cut down that sack number. All right, I'm going to zip through these last two. Uh, Xavier McKinney to the Jags at 20. Uh, Trayvon Diggs to the Seahawks at 27. Um, I don't think he'll last that long. I really don't. Uh, but he, I'm just, and I'm flipping through some picks. Uh, interesting. They have the Titans taking Jonathan Taylor, uh, the running back out of Wisconsin in the, at 29, which I think, what are you? No way. I mean, th- yeah, I think they might get a running back to help Henry out. But I'm, why in the hell would they use a first-round pick on a running back right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a Taylor fan, uh, but I wouldn't take him in the first round of this. I, right now, Taylor's my second favorite running back in the draft. I, I would take DeAndre Swift ahead yeah. of Taylor. 
and I, I don't have a problem with Swift or Taylor, frankly, going in the late first. I don't, but it just depends on who's drafting in your needs and who else is out there. There's there's a few guys that are going to be available in the 20s that to me are are, are really good players at, at more important positions than running back. So I'm with you. Like, I don't think that's going to happen either. But, you know, I, I'll say the over-under on a running back going to the first round, I, I would put at one. And maybe it's Taylor. Maybe it's Swift. Maybe it's Edwards Hilaire from LSU. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it's Taylor Swift. Well, she's a billionaire. She, did, she, did you know what you did there? I didn't even know. I don't think you know what you did there. You were like, maybe Jonathan Taylor and De- I, I, I married Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift and made a Taylor Swift. Pretty good. Yeah. Sweet. No, uh, Edwards Hilaire from LSU could end up being the first back taken. I'll tell you back, I like quite a bit. I mean, in terms of like, you know, if it's not one of those obvious guys in terms of who, who's going to end up being the best running back in the draft, I like J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. I oh, mean, me too. Yeah. Oh, Dobbins is, Dobbins is great. And uh, my favorite bet every year, though, my, my, my favorite bet every year is in terms of like, who, who's the best bet on, on, to be drafted on a Saturday that's going to end up being a really good player in the NFL? I, I land every year on choose a running back from the SEC. I mean, a running back from the SEC that's drafted in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round on Saturday always ends up pretty good because the SEC is just the deepest pile of running backs every year, and, and, and there's so many good defense in the SEC. I don't think America or the, or the scouts even really know how good those guys are because they're playing against good defenses every week, but, but are back like Rico Dowdle, from South Carolina, LaMichael Piron from Florida. Uh, you know, don't don't sleep on those. Those guys might be really good picks around that fourth or fifth round. Yeah, and we're going to keep doing this with the draft. I mean, there's there's just so many mock drafts coming up, and there's so little content. So, where did they have be- the quarterbacks in your in that mock reading from NBC? They obviously had uh, Burrow one, two of five. They have Herbert six to the Chargers. Yeah, and uh, then they have the- Herbert six to the Chargers. Yeah. And, 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 and did they? Have, let me see. Let me see really quickly where they had Jordan Love here. Twenty-three to the Patriots. No, I think they had him before that. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, they had him twenty-three to the Patriots. You're right. I love Jordan Love to the Patriots. I mean, I I think if the Patriots, I mean, I don't know that the Patriots going to trade up to get him. Uh, I think the Patriots are probably going to be considering a linebacker right where they are. Maybe Keith Murray from Oklahoma or Kalevon Chazon from LSU, who's a guy I really, really like uh, in the 20s. But if Jordan Love falls to the Patriots, there's no way they pass on him. There's no way the Patriots will pass on on Jordan Love, who's, to me, it's a total stretch. But Jordan is drawing some Mahomes comparisons. And, I mean, if you want to be compared to somebody right now in the NFL and get people excited, it's Mahomes. But. Love has crazy arm strength like Mahomes. You know, I mean, he can, you know, he can probably throw it through the goalposts from 50 yards out on his knees. I mean, like Mahomes can. I mean, he's got just a howitzer arm. But he threw a lot of interceptions considering he was playing at Utah State. So uh, I I like Love. He is definitely a first-round quarterback for me. But to me, he should be taken by someone who can survive it if he's not good. You know what I mean? The Bengals need their quarterback to be good or they're screwed. The Bengals, have, the Dolphins need their quarterback to be good or they're screwed. Uh, 
you know, the Jaguars could take Jordan Love at nine, and if Love isn't good, huh, they got Gardner Minshew. Don't, you know, th- th- there's reason to believe Minshew might be pretty good. But, gosh, if you need a quarterback to be good right away, uh, I wouldn't take Love if I'm the Bengals or the Dolphins. I- I'd stick with Tua Burrow and, and Herbert, who to me is, is, is both overrated and underrated. I mean, Herbert could easily be a bust, but the people that like don't like Herbert at all, I think they're crazy. There's, there's, that guy does check a lot of boxes. Uh, I mean, arm, size, shocking athleticism for a big kid. He ran a 4.68 at Indy at 235 pounds. Um, and he just happens to be that uh, award winner for best grades. You know, he's, he, he's the best guy academically in the country, regardless of position, and had the highest uh, Wonderlick score of anybody that took it this year. So uh, Herbert, there's a, Herbert checks a lot of boxes. I just wonder why or he didn't seem to me to make Oregon a lot better. That's that to me is my like to me, the best quarterbacks are winners. And if Herbert checks all those boxes and he had that really good team around him, why wasn't Oregon in the playoff and winning games? Hell, they lost to Arizona State. You know, yeah, so Auburn with a first time starter. So they um, did. So that that's why I'm like. That's why I wouldn't take Herbert ahead of Tua. Tua's a winner, but Tua, you are taking, I mean, that's a lot of millions. That's a lot of guaranteed millions for a guy your team doctors aren't allowed to look at. And Tua has, Tua has an injury history at Alabama. It's not just the hip, you know. So I get why teams would be like. We're about to run out of minute. Oh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> well, you can tell. I love me some mock draft. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, we're going we to do, do this some more. We found a content. We found a content gold mine. <laughs> and I don't even get me started on kids in the draft. I really, really like like Yator Gross Matos. Is that, they have him at the end of the first round. Yator Gross Matos. I, yeah, I had Yator Gross Matos at the Mexican restaurant the other night. I thought it was great. <laughs> um, I'm glad you survived it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, buddy. Roll tide. Roll tide.